What up, everybody? My name is Nick Caputo, and I am the creator of the Caputo Method of Holistic Ease. Welcome to the Grub from the Garden podcast, episode one. I'm here with my dad, Nick Caputo, and we're going to talk about a bunch of things. You'd say what's up to everybody, Dad. Hello, hello, good people. So there's a couple things that we're going to talk about today. I know a lot of you guys have been waiting for this podcast to start and specifically to hear my dad's testimony with his experience with some of my methods. So some of the things that we're going to talk about is his background, the way that he lived prior to getting on this wave, what got him on board with what I was teaching, his experience with the things that he's been implementing, and his goals for the future and what he's looking, looking to do. Word. So, yeah, Dad, the floor is yours. You can introduce yourself. Yeah, well, thanks for having me on. I think this is a, an enlightening uh, um, experience for me. Uh, I guess I first want to start off by saying that, obviously, considering that I'm Nick's dad, I come from a generation that is typically um, not, um, a, 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 not a generation that really likes change or adapts well to change or embraces new ideas, right? We, we are very complacent typically. And I'm speaking for the people that I know that are obviously my age. So I'm approaching my mid-50s. And, um, you know, I'm probably, um, in terms of Nick's demographic of clients or interested people, one of the toughest sort of age groups. I don't know if you agree, Nick, but I would say I'm up there in terms of the group that I'm in um, of people that would sort of be interested and consider some of your methods. Yeah, I would agree. You know? Um, with As far as implementing and making the commitments, your age group definitely struggles with the commitment aspect, the physical commitment yeah. part, for sure. Yeah, and I want to touch on, on, on what drove that commitment. And so initially, there was interest. Obviously, you're my son, and there was some pride there as well in listening to you and the knowledge that was there in your delivery. And it definitely sparked interest. I'm probably a lot more open-minded than most people my age, and so that's why there was a spark of interest, but that's really all it was, you know. Um, but then something happened. Um, some reality set in, and some changes happened in my life that sort of turned that spark of interest into um, a whole lot more of, wow, I may need to seriously implement this to help myself. You were also really on top of me once you heard my situation, and so... What I'm alluding to here, folks, is um, someone like me, even though I'm at the age that I'm at, which is 52. And who mm -hmm. describes someone like you? Um, so, right, the age of 52, um, at the point in life where so much of the time is spent eating, <laughs> going out to dinner with friends, it becomes sort of a, a social normality to eat all the time, especially in social settings, and drink alcohol socially um, quite often. And so someone like me, not only the closed-mindedness, but the lifestyle change, not, not change, the lifestyle um, and the environment and the people that are surrounding me are all very similar um, and follow all of those sort of practices that I just mentioned. And so those things, especially over a long period of time, since my 30s most likely, um, contributed to my um, type 2 diabetes diagnosis, which was a really, really ego um, hit to me. 
Um, but although I described me and my friend group as eaters and drinkers, I was always um, conscious of fitness. I've run six marathons. Um, was other than some of the years in my 30s, always in pretty good shape and tried to consciously eat well. Um, and so to hear that I was a type two diabetic when many of my friends were so much more overweight, less athletic, less in shape, was a real shot to the ego and, and really a devastating diagnosis, although it could have been much worse. Um, I was not happy about it. And being the competitive person that I am, I wanted to really do something about it and not just be another big farmer customer uh, or statistic that's just gonna get on all kinds of medications and have a night table full of bottles within the next mm -hmm. five years. I just didn't wanna do that. And so very coincidentally, um, I had Nick's information sort of in my head and listening and watching and seeing Nick's posts at the same time. It was really a no brainer for me to say, I should probably try to practice some of this stuff, although it seems wacky to me and way out there to me and nothing that I would ever really wanna do, but I was almost forced into, um, because of my competitive nature and wanting to really do something about my condition, jump into it. Yeah, you know? let's, uh, let's cover a little bit about the way that you were living before this diagnosis to kind of make sense of why yeah. this came to a surprise for you and why it didn't really come to much of a surprise to me. Yeah, so as you know, Nick, when you were young and, and, and throughout most of my life, um, I always had this incredible ability to consume large amounts of food, and I'm not really a large guy. Um, Paris, how, how big are you? You're okay, what, like five eight. Most of my life have been five eight and uh, probably about 190 pounds, 185 pounds. Uh, muscular though, so that muscle adds a little weight. But that's pretty much the weight and height that I've been since 25 years old. But even 25 and younger, even on the sixth grade camping trip, I can remember finishing everyone else's food in the <laughs> mess hall. And so now I'm married with three children, and guess what happens at dinner? Guess what happens when we're out at a restaurant? I'm finishing everyone's dinner as well, and very easily, and Nick <laughs> Nick knows this all too well. Yeah. And so I was the big joke of the family. I was the big garbage can when I'm the out vacuum with- cleaner. The vacuum cleaner. vacuum cleaner. Out with my friends, it's the big joke, you know, just Nick can finish everything and Nick's this crazy eater. And, you know, there was something really strange about that attention um, because when you talk about emotions and being emotionally broken and needing attention and all that, which I also have issues with from my childhood and other things like most people, I absolutely thrived and loved this attention, this recognition um, of being this great eater. Everyone seemed to admire it, including my parents. And they were so proud of my ability to eat so well and it's so healthy and look at this kid, he is um, so healthy and strong. Look how much he can eat. And so I was conditioned to think that this was a good thing. And so for years and years and years, knowing what I know now, it's, it's really mind boggling and completely not surprising and why Nick was not surprised upon the, the diagnosis of type two um, because of all the consumption of food, the starches, the meats, um, the desserts, the sugar, the Entenmann's donuts, the donuts, and the, the cakes, the cakes and the ice cream, and not to mention the McDonald's and the Wendy's and the fast food, which I absolutely love. And you then lusted, lusted <laughs> even better. And then coming from a 
Italian um, slash Cuban background, um, wonderful cultures for food. <laughs> if food, if if food would be good for you, they got great um, great drugs in those cultures for and, sure. And many of my friends would say, "Wow, I'm so jealous." You know, you get the lasagna, the meatballs, the unbelievable Italian dishes combined with. Um, the unbelievable tasty pork and rice and beans and fried bananas from your other side of your culture. And so um, forget the American fast food and horrible Entenmann's donuts and all that stuff. Um, I also had all those other great choices. Yeah. Um, all the meat, all the country. starch, all the all rice. the Monsanto lab chemical drugs, the yeah. Chips Ahoy cookies, the Oreos, Yeah. all of it. And if you want to throw in roughly five cups of coffee per day, you can do that too. <laughs> Uh, because once I had three kids within five years, including Nick, who was the first, pressure at work got larger, financial strains, more emotional problems, more hiding of pain by eating. The eating just increased, the drinking increased, the marijuana use increased. Things that I did um, in my teens and 20s were still happening in my almost ridiculous 40s. And so um, not surprised by the diagnosis of type two, uh, because of all these things. Yeah, something I think would be important to note for everybody listening is that you, in the moment, like you weren't aware that you were necessarily running away from your emotions with all this food and all this other stuff. Oh, absolutely and, not. And, and that when you got this diagnosis, it was kind of like a slap in the face because you weren't aware really of what you were doing. And this is a common thing for most people. It's easy to fall into that kind of pit of addiction and, and escapism, habitual you know, behavior. You know what? You're right because I'm talking about this in the tense that I know what I know now. Exactly. And I didn't then. Exactly. Um, and so that's why it was such another big shock. And by the way, the marathon training and the marathon running um, includes a whole lot of sugar, which is, i.e., mm. Gatorade. Um, and Or included for you. Well, all, yeah. prof all professional marathon trainers condone and push and recommend Gatorade and heavy <laughs> pastas and heavy bread. The carb loading that I did for those six marathons alone probably equated to years and years of other regular eating that I was I was doing. Just it was just elevated during those those training years because I was told if you're going to make it through a marathon, you need to do this. And so it worked for the first marathon. So I, I obviously just kept on doing it. And so the pasta and the breads and the rice and the deliberate loading of starch and carbs, not to mention the Gatorades while running and the sugar packs that they recommend um, and the gel packs that they recommend, which are loaded with caffeine and loaded with all kinds of damaging elements. Salt and shit. Salt that, that you apparently need um, for your body to make it through these ridiculously long distances of running. I thought I was doing the right thing the whole time when I was actually really, really causing massive damage, which I didn't know at the time, to your point. Yeah. How'd you feel after those marathons? Ah, great point. And so, and once again, thinking that it was very normal, recovery, recovery was absolutely uh, brutal um, to the point where I couldn't walk, you know, for 24 to 48 hours after some of those long training runs, which I thought was normal, started to take Percocet to eliminate the pain of the running in the legs, the knees, the back, uh, feeling so proud of myself that this is the way you're supposed to feel because you're pushing your body beyond limits and accomplishing unbelievable goals. And after a marathon of 26.2 miles, 
you know, the, the first time I completed a marathon, I couldn't go back to work for five days. Um, by the last marathon, I was able to recover much more quickly. But those feelings, I thought, again, were normal and, and what sh I should have been feeling. Uh, knowing what I know now from Nick, um, I won't go into it now, but that should not have been the way my body was feeling. Yeah, so there's a couple things around the marathon and the running that I feel like we might as well just talk about now since we're on this topic. Yeah. So specifically, I remember when me, you, and Julia were training for that marathon and we were on green juice. And we were at the end of a run and it was like the longest run I ever did. It was like a 10 mile or something. And Great we were point. We were finishing on Hillside Ave in Nutley. I remember well. And you absolutely ripped past us at the last second and you were sprinting at the end after 10 miles and I couldn't even catch you. And I was never able to do anything like that. You literally like were freaking out afterwards. You were like, I've never been able to do that at the end of a run this long. Well, and I, I've never I, felt this good after running this long. Well, exactly. And the reason I exploded past you guys is because typically at mile 12 or 13, wherever we were, I forget, um, somewhere around there. It we was were, a long one, yeah. We were in the, in the middle double digits there of the teens. I think we were almost to 13 miles or 14 miles, which is basically a half marathon. I had never not had pain in my legs at that stage. I typically get pains in my legs around eight or nine miles. And I'm very familiar with that because I've done so many marathons. Yeah. So that day I was so excited about the fact that I wasn't feeling it. I said, let me see what happens when I take off. Now there's another piece here. The lack of pain in my legs because of what I was doing from a fasting green juice perspective. But you also taught me, if you remember, how to breathe without opening my mouth. Of course. And breathing and doing three, six, nines while I'm running, breathing in and out from the nose only was a very big part of this. And while I was sprinting, the desire to breathe heavily with my mouth open wasn't even there. And that's when I knew you were really onto something. And that's what that day. And that's me too. And that's when I knew that everything I had done previously with regards to marathon running and training was wrong. Hence all the pain and the misery and the Percocets and the carb loading and all that yeah. destructive behavior, you know. And combine all that with running like a Woda. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we can All go, the improper movement. I mean, you throw that on top of the, that's the cherry on the sundae there. I mean, yeah, <laughs> you know, that's the icing on the cake, really. Yeah, I mean. the it, form completely wrong, too. Yeah, completely inflaming yourself with the food and the stuff that you're putting in your body and dehydrating yourself in every way possible, including the mouth breathing, the first one hundred all of the marathons basically and then combine that with improper movement and you know reverse movement basically hip rotation reverse yeah from what you're supposed to be doing when you're running and that's why your knees were bowling balls after every marathon how do you say word word <laughs> right so um i think that 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 is val that is valid and um knowing what i know right now I think I might even consider doing another one when I really was considering never doing one again because I didn't want to go through that suffering ever again. Six was enough. My emotional um, purging had happened to the point where I felt like I don't need to do this anymore. But now, knowing what I know, with the fasting, with the diet, with the juicing, possibly urine, which I'm still working on and haven't gotten there yet, with the breathing, with the goda, you know, I might be able to... Um, truly run my best marathon yet probably at the best time i've ever done it um so yeah it's something to ponder and consider word yep all right so let's move on to some other stuff let's talk about your big solid food vacation 
because a lot of people have seen the post about it. I posted about it several times right off the bat when you were done with it. I was super proud of you for making that commitment and really getting through it and, you know, experiencing it all for yourself. And let's just talk about, first of all, what really got you to do it. Like what, I know it was the, the, uh, diagnosis for the diabetes but you were diagnosed for a couple weeks before you really decided to do it and yep. you did a couple small ones beforehand you did a seven you did a 12 before you really decided to do it yeah for 60 so you want to share anything about that yeah. a couple of things number one you were drilling me on it drilling me <laughs> hard um, I ignored you for a while but not completely right so it was still in my head so number one your re-emphasis of how important and how beneficial it would be to me was probably the number one reason why I ultimately wound up doing it. You were relentless, wouldn't give up until I started, until I agreed to do it. That's, that's number one. Um, the other reason was um, the pandemic and our sort of... Uh, our instructions to not be able to go out, everything closing down and me being home not being able to partake in this reckless behavior of happy hours and dinners with friends. And, you know, I was, I was away from, uh, I was forced away from an environment that contributes to my, to the things I shouldn't do. And so with Corona, actually as a godsend, being stuck home and not being able to do those things made me consider this might be a good time to do it. Um, and so obviously throwing that all together with my known condition, and you telling me that this is something that would absolutely help reverse it, it was a no-brainer at that point. And I decided to switch on my marathon mentality, which I figured it would take you know, to accomplish something like this. Um, and I will say that it was more difficult than any marathon I could ever run. But the mentality that I used to get through it was similar. But in terms of the reasons why I decided to do it, those were pretty much the biggest ones. Nice. Yeah. So let's talk about your actual experience. Yeah, so. Everything that you want to say, floor's open. Yeah, probably the most difficult thing I had ever done in my life uh, because so many things happened along the way. Um, there was a lot of emotion, emotional stuff, a lot of mood swings, pain, uh, physically and mentally. There was a lot of strain with my family you know, I couldn't be around people. I had to lock myself in my room for a while. Um, big time depression. Um, big time um, feelings of not being able to do it, which is hard for me, right? Because again, think about a marathon runner, a goal-oriented person who doesn't quit. That's me. Um, but man, I can't tell you how many times I wanted to quit. You called me a couple times saying like, I can't fucking do it, bro. And I'm like, yeah. don't you fucking dare eat. If I didn't call you those times, <laughs> those were probably would have been days that I would have quit and for me not being a quitter it would have been ultimately devastating when I did quit and I would have been so hard on myself for doing that and so I was I'm really thankful to have you there to help me through it because um, I didn't have anyone else in my own immediate family that number one agreed supported or understood what I was doing and so there would have been no way for me to keep this going right around day seven day ten I was losing my shit um for someone who loves to eat like me as well and who's completely fixated on having to eat, it was um, the craziest thing ever. I was shaking. Um, I was anxious. Like I said, depressed. 
just all the emotional vomit. Every emotion emotional you stored vomit. your whole life was just hitting you. Yeah. All the depression, all the anxiety, everything. All, everything. It was coming out of the me. The insecurity, and, all of it. And I'll throw something in there. And this is not to brag about myself, guys, but I'm, I'm going to throw it out there. This was all happening while the rest of my family was parading everything that I love in front of me. The donuts, the Entenmann's cake, the pizza. They were going about their business. Same thing happened when I started, and too. And I, I think, yeah, and I think Mom you guys... Mom used to buy pizzas and be like, don't you want the pizza I bought if you? I'd be pacing around the kitchen. Yeah, now <laughs> magnify that about 10 times because during the pandemic, people went the opposite direction of me. Everyone mm -hmm. ate more. Everyone took their boredom and depression and being locked down into eating, which is really one of the most easiest things to do, including drinking alcohol while you're stuck at home. And so my wife and my older, other, older son and my daughter and some of her friends um, sometimes would come over even though they weren't allowed to. And they would drink and party and laugh and eat. You know, and I had to go sit in my room. Um, and I had to walk by cookies and cakes. And so the torture was even, uh, it's not like and I was- how hard was that for you to do? Because you were like, the probably the number one biggest food addict I've ever seen. I've never seen anyone yes. eat more than you yes. in a sitting and crave food as much as you. Right. So like I said, I had to leverage something that I knew I had in me. And that was that marathon mentality of being at mile 20, being at mile 21, and fighting through the most unbelievable internal torture. And that's what it was. And so I used the same mentality. I went up in my room away from everyone and I, I just, I did that and I tried to occupy myself with different things. I read one of your books, I think at one of those times. Um, I would flash through the television stations and look for something that I would be interested in on the History Channel or anything that would consume my thought. Um, and, it, and it worked. And then something miraculous happened, at least for me it was miraculous. I think it was day 18, I woke up in the morning with an unbelievable sense of energy, feeling of energy. You and called me that day, I and, remember. And clarity. And I called you and I said, wow, today is a good day. Today's a different day. I might be able to do this if I am past this so-called detoxing or emotional vomit that you've talked about. And you warned me, you said, listen, it might not be over, there might be more of it. It comes in waves. Uh, it comes in waves, and it did, but no way near to the magnitude of the first 18 days. Yeah. So I decided to do something different here to make it through the next 30 whatever days I had left, 32 days. I took out the yoga mat that you gave me for Christmas or for my birthday, mm -hmm. um, the strap that you gave me, the mini trampoline that you gave me, and I decided to get back into full-blown exercise mode. I couldn't go to the gym. So the push-ups, the sit-ups, the pull-ups, the stretching, the crunches, um, and you I, weren't much of a stretcher prior to this. No, and I just, I needed to fill up my time with exercise and I was limited. I had a little bit of uh, some dumbbells and I started doing what I had with the limited resources I had. The weather in late March, early April started to change. I started going out in the backyard. I started to really, really pump the breath work more than I ever had. And I'll be honest with you, the breath work was the single biggest key on why I made it from day 18 to the end. The exercising and the breath work made me not want to eat, no doubt. I don't care what anybody says about it. The breathing made me satisfied. Um, it's a meal. But I don't forget, I was also drinking liquids. So I, in, in conjunction with the breathing was the green juice, tons of herbal tea. Um, I wasn't doing the coconut water yet or the, obviously any urine, but... Yeah, I told you no coconut water. Yeah, oh, okay, that's right. Yeah. 
You but, were just doing green juice, herbal tea, distilled water. Yeah, and I was yeah. absolutely in awe that I was able to do the push-ups and the curls and um, all of these exercises with the energy level that I had. And that's when I said, this kid is really onto something. There is no way I'm stopping now. You that's, called me so excited, dude. Yeah. You were like, I haven't eaten in three fucking weeks and I'm lifting right now. He's like, yeah. You were in awe. You were freaking out on the I, phone. I think I even said, quote, this bullshit breath work fucking works. Yeah. You know. Because, <laughs> you know, again, let's go back to my generation and who I am, right? I'm one of these guys from a generation that says, yeah, I'm going to sit around and breathe and it's going to make me, it's going to help me. It's going to change my life. No fucking way. I'm not wasting my time. But this was the real deal and I was living, and no pun intended, living and breathing it for real. You know? Yeah. And that's how I made it through. And on day 60, um, you remember how I looked. Yeah. Um, forget the marathons. I was never so ripped in my life. Um, and no one can believe how I looked. My face, everything changed. Dude, the pictures are insane. Like that summer, like I remember that picture of, of you at Tice. And your yeah. abs were retarded. You looked like me. You looked like me with anchor arms. Yeah, and people noticed. <laughs> like I started to like, see people again. Uh, because the pandemic was not as strict, I guess. But and even mom and, and people noticed not only the weight loss, the the youth that seemed to come back into my being. Your skin like was skin. glowing. I mean, you looked like somebody who was doing urine therapy. Yeah, I mean, my <laughs> bowel movements were never so regular. I was falling asleep at night with ease and waking up completely alive and not tired. Obviously, no alcohol, all of the things that- Sleeping less, we were waking up for sunrise and shit. Easily, and easily, and, I, and you know me, I am not a morning person at all. No, you never were. And I became one, so I really, really started to be. And with no coffee. No coffee at all. So I, I was really a believer, I was fully on board, um, and this could be a segue into the next section, which is kind of sad, but I'll be willing to talk about it now if you're ready for it. Um. I guess first, there is one thing that I want to talk about first. Yeah. Um, because you kept going back to the marathon thing as far as the fasting, I want to note the actual similarities between something like running a marathon and fasting. Mm. And they are very similar. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting that you took the approach without actually knowing how similar they were. And I remember we had this conversation pretty mm. long after you fasted mm -hmm. about how running a marathon is a serious detox. And it's an emotional detox as well as a physical detox. And as you go through in mile, you know, you're at mile 21. That's basically like being at, at day 45. In spite okay. of the starch and everything. Yeah, yeah. Still, but even just that, that one marathon alone is like a serious in-the-moment detox. But you also, from taught, start to finish. you also taught me something really valuable about that. Why is Why it a is detox? That? Because you are fucking breathing breath work running is breath work and then i made that connection well you made it for me but i understood it completely mm -hmm. you know yeah the breathe you know you're breathing you, you ran a marathon in what like four hours and something yeah my average is four. so that's four hours of breathing without being able to stop because you're still running so then i took that further and i said wow if i would have done that without all of the damage i did to myself while doing it like the macaroni and the bread and the starches and all of the carbohydrates I thought I needed for fuel, I, I can't even imagine how, and, I'm, and I always wondered why there were people running these marathons with more ease than me. Older people flying by me, 
and I'm a good athlete, and I'm in shape, and how is this 60-something-year-old guy just cruising by me? And why does he look thinner than me? And I'm not saying he was doing the things that we're talking about, but I knew there was something wrong. Um, even though I was accomplishing these unbelievable goals and all my friends were in awe and everybody thought it was such a great thing, um, it, it still didn't feel good. Hmm. You know? Yeah. And I mean, think about it, dude. You were running. You ran 26 miles with like eight pounds of pasta in you. 12 ca- hours. Carrying that for 28, for 26 miles. With probably uh, the equivalent of seven or eight bottles of Gatorade along the course. Yeah, all that weight. You were carrying that weight the whole time. The carbs and sugar alone in, in a bottle of Gatorade is ridiculous. Ridiculous. It's absolute drugs. It's poison. Yeah. It's a weapon against humanity, Gatorade. But now I know at the finish line why I was barely able to walk. Mm-hmm. Makes perfect sense. Yeah. So, yeah, the the connection between the running and the fasting, they are both detoxes. And, and the breathing. Yeah, yeah, for those who – yeah, even if you just were breathing through your nose the whole time for those marathons. Right. It would have been – I wasn't even doing that. But it would have been a lot more difficult for you to breathe through your nose during those marathons with all that pasta in you because your diaphragm is being so all, blocked. All blocked. You can't even breathe. Yeah, and my colon with all that completely blocked. Yeah. Yeah. So – I want to just give a little information for people who are listening about the concept of how it actually is easier to do some of these things like working out and why he was feeling more energetic while he was fasting and, you know, later three weeks in, why he was feeling better after the, after he got over that hump. So the body runs on electricity. It doesn't run on carbs, doesn't run on fats, doesn't run on proteins. It runs on electricity. Now, sugar and fats, they're basically like storage forms of electricity. Your body can convert fats to ketones and use that for electricity, or they can use sugars or convert fats to sugars to glucose and use that for energy and gluconeogenesis. But basically all it is is electricity in various densities. Electrons, free-flowing electrons at different densities. So the body functions on electricity, and if you can tap into less dense sources of electricity, you will have much more energy. Now, starch and meat and refined sugars don't actually give you energy. They stimulate you and force the body to use energy and release chemicals, but they don't actually give you energy, which is why people are so depleted after doing this. You always get a rush and a crash from stimulation. It's not pure energy. If it was pure energy, you wouldn't crash. So Makes sense. Things that are electrical would be breathing through your nose, the, the breath work, um, the sunlight, sun gazing. Grounding, human interaction, hugging people, tantric sex, non-ejaculatory sex, semen retention for men. Chlorophyll? Chlorophyll, yeah, would be another one. Any kind of fruits or or juices from greens, because I don't really recommend juicing fruits, and I don't really recommend eating greens, but juices from greens or eating fruits, as long as they're out in the sun and collecting electricity from the sun and attached to the tree, you know, the further you get from picking it off the tree yourself, the less electrical it is, but... You know, you can even take a fruit from the grocery store and put it in the sun and allow it to charge up, put it on the ground in the grass and allow it to charge up in the sunlight and you'll get electricity that way. So there's lots of sources of more, more natural sources of electricity that you can use to fuel your body through a run like that. And moving properly, you know, with go to movement, which I've been studying a lot uh, with Stephen Bean, he has been teaching me a lot about natural movement and using the body the way it was designed to move in order to make the body most efficient with movement. So when you're when you're running improperly, you're using way more energy than you need to just to 
run or just to, you know, just for forward locomotion in general. And you're also putting a lot more strain on your knees, your ankles, your hips, your whole body pretty much from moving improperly. So combine the proper movement with the proper nourishment and it's night and day compared to what most people go through during some of these feats. Yeah. So let's move on and talk about how you broke your fast and your experience with what happened following the fast. Yeah. And so um, that's the sad part of this story for me and the weakness part of this story for me. Um, And again, it's not an excuse. It's just my reality. And that is my environment and my surroundings. And so um, from a timeline perspective, you guys can think that now we're coming into a few months into the pandemic. So March and April are over. May, um, May has arrived. Summer has arrived. Um, and we have a, a, a summer house down at the Jersey Shore in Tom's River um, where we uh, play often on the water and with friends. And, and so it's the summertime and it's fun, again, eating and dinners. And so one of the saving factors, again, w- was the pandemic, but it was loosening up and we were able to wear masks and um, go to restaurants but eat outside. And some of the rules were being um, made lighter. Um, Not to mention that we go to spots with the boat and tie up with friends outside. We were allowed to do that where, you know, binge drinking takes place on weekends and hanging out. And so I had a big dilemma in that I was this new person who was not going to do that this year. And I was going to be very different. My friends already knew that I was doing some different things and following Nick's methods. And, um, you know, to make this story a little shorter, obviously... Summer arrived, that routine began, and I began to slowly um, tell myself that I deserved to do some of these things again, that it was okay. I had reversed my type two diabetes. I didn't even need to take my sugar numbers um, any longer. My numbers were perfect every single day. Um, And so I had this false sense of confidence that I was done, that I was good, that it had worked, and I had fixed myself, euphoria, right? So I'll start slow and drink some of those seltzers or White Claws or maybe a beer or two. And I'll start to eat again and some of the things I used to eat, but only a little, you know, I'll dabble and, you know, tell eat the amounts that you used to eat. You, you control your portions still to this day better. That's right. A lot better. I never went back to that. But, you know, Nick, um, who I didn't really want to, hear from anymore on this Mm -hmm. i was at you know at the point where i was just like done i guess mentally which is what i'm really most sad about because that's not me but that's what i did said to me um this is a mistake dad um you can't jump back in like this in fact you should never be doing any of these things again this is a lifestyle commitment this is a change forever this is not hey the season is here and has changed and you can go back and do these things. I said, yeah, no, I know, Nick. I'm going to do it in moderation. I'm only going to do it a little. I don't get drunk anymore. I'm not binge drinking. I'm having one or two of these little harmless seltzers. Look, there's no carbs. Look, there's no sugar. You were always showing me nutrition labels, and I was like, dude, come yeah. on. You know that this is bullshit. <laughs> and so I, I, I was in denial, um, and I was disregarding Nick trying to tell me. I remember what I told you. I said, yeah. I said, if you don't make sacrifices for yourself, yeah. you become the sacrifice. You did, and I just went right over my head, and hey, summer's here, and uh, this fucking corona sucked, and we're all allowed to go back out again 
to some degree. And so um, I, I proceeded to do that um, throughout the entire summer, right into the fall. Uh, and then something strange started to happen. I started um, losing dramatic weight. Um, and I was still fasting, but my largest fast was probably a three-day fast, maybe two-day fast. On yeah, you're average. doing occasional ones. Occasional short fast is. I was doing some fasting fasts. I was doing some intermittent fasting during the day. You know, 16 hours every day of not eating, eight hours of eating, and then that kind of stuff. But not really seriously, not with conviction. And then, and you were messing with like those. Keto granolas and yeah, like, all like the fucking yeah. vegan bullshit foods that you were like, it's good. Look at the label, it's whatever. And I'm like, dude, this is bullshit. Yeah, just trying. You're like, but I spent money on it, so I'm gonna eat it. Yeah, right. R- ridiculous <laughs> excuses and remarks. Every about, excuse in the book. You yeah, gave about trying to make myself <laughs> better, but still want to enjoy and do these things. And you know, my I, I just wasn't ready. My mind wasn't there. Uh, considering where I am now, but yeah, and something I would say too is that th- these are normal feelings for somebody who goes through a long fast right mm, out of the gate, kind of like you did. Yeah. You, it's you want to just dive right back in, and sometimes that's why I recommend taking this process more gentle. But yeah, the thing is, is like you, if you're gonna pursue a fast like that, you have to break it for a long time and and refeed consciously, which you didn't take enough time to get back. Yeah. And so like I usually recommend for a 60 day fast that someone takes at least 20, 30 days of being conscious and just doing very small amounts of fruit before they can even handle like a regular meal. And you went back after like two or three weeks to eating normal and drinking alcohol. 100%. No question about it. And for those of you that are considering this, take that advice very, very uh, literally. Uh, maybe doing this in an extreme fashion is not the best thing. And I thought, hey, Mr. Marathon Man, right? I'm Mr. Extreme. I'm doing this. I'm going all in. I'm not going to gradually ramp up to this. Fuck that. I'm doing it. I'm doing it now. And that might have been a mistake. And that's okay to do that. Some people can do it. Yeah. But the thing is, is like if you're going to make that commitment, you can't. You can't. Yeah. You can't quit. And this is why I wrote the book Emotional Rehydration to really let people understand the emotional side of it. Because the reason why you did this was 100% emotional. You were feeling all your emotions for two months. Yeah. So much emotional shit from your childhood, from everything. Yeah. And then once you you got the, the excuses in your head yeah. to justify going back, uh-huh. you were like, yes, I don't want to feel this shit anymore. I'm going to get numb again. I'm not going to have to feel all this fucking shit anymore. Right. And th- I already healed my diabetes. I'm good. Yeah. I don't have to do it. I don't have to break consciously. I'm already here. And even though I thought I was doing it gradually and slowly, it doesn't matter. I, I shouldn't have been doing it at all, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and I wasn't doing it as slowly as I thought I was doing it. When I think back now, yeah. uh, I, maybe the first two weeks. And then I almost jumped right back into my regular routine, even though I wasn't consuming the same portions, you know, the drinking regularly on, on the summer weekends was starting to happen again. Mm-hmm. And Danny was telling me, he's like, dad's fucking drinking white claws, bro. He's not telling you, he's yeah. sneaking them. Yeah. And so here lies in the real problem. And so, um, we're telling you all this for a reason. And this is what you're dealing with now. This is what I'm dealing with now. And so um, during this process, the summer ends, we're now into September and early October, and I'm losing um, unintentional weight. You got pale. You just didn't look good. Something was wrong. And 
I understood the weight loss, by the way, which was 35 pounds during the solid food vacation that I was really happy about and really intentional. Most of that was sh shit in the toilet. Yeah, no <laughs> doubt. So I was really happy with the new weight. Like I said, it was looking great, looking different, looking younger. This was different, wasn't looking good. And I wasn't doing a solid food vacation anymore. So why the weight loss? And then my skin started to get a little bit weird. Um, my veins were um, way more exposed than normal. And without a shirt on and without clothes on, I started to look sick. And I got really nervous and my wife noticed it too. This was not related to fasting or anything. This was something else. And now I was down to about 139 pounds from about 165 without really trying anything. And without fasting. And without fasting. Because you were what when you finished your fasting? 165? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, right around there. So. And then you went back to eating, and after going back to eating, you lost another 30-something pounds. Yeah, and that's when the... Going back uh, yeah. to eating and drinking. Yeah, that, yeah. And that was the problem. That was the big concern. And then I was... I'll never forget, I was Freddie Mercury on Halloween um, <laughs> and looked too much like him. <laughs> yeah. Um, and my friends were, you know, in awe. Like, my friend, some of my friends were scared at that Halloween party um, and they were not making fun of me but legitimately saying dude are you okay like you really don't look okay um, I get the Freddie Mercury concert uh, costume it's awesome but like what's up and my only response was I'm not sure something's up but I'll figure it out so um, started to do what I didn't want to do and that's jump into the medical community and, and get doctor's visits and doctor tests and you know, yeah. knowing my history with diabetes and maybe it came back. Um, but um, again, making this story short, no one understood what I had. I was checked for cancer up and down all across my body, MRIs, CAT scans, ultrasounds in the midsection, um, and no um, inflammation, no tumors, um, a little bit of elevated numbers in the pancreas that they were concerned about. So I did additional pancreatic cancer tests for about three weeks. Nobody could find a thing. They didn't know what was wrong with me. Um, I was happy about the results of some of these tests, um, but then I was sent to an endocrinologist who said, I know it's very rare and very strange. Uh, let's check you for juvenile type one diabetes, which by the way, at your age is a less than 3% chance, but you do fit some of the profile symptoms here, especially with the weight loss. There's no sign of cancer. Um, so the only other thing that it could be is this, but it would be very, very weird at your age if that's what this was. Lo and behold, the tests came back. Um, I was barely making any insulin and I was now a type one diabetic, which can be common from a type two. It doesn't happen often, um, but I was now a type one diabetic that was instructed to begin administering insulin manually. Talk about devastation and an ego blast. It was a thousand times worse than my first diagnosis in terms of um, it affecting my psyche and ego. So um, that was the biggest ramification in Nick's opinion and mine on breaking that solid food vacation the way I did um, regretfully. And so now I'm on the way back again uh, with Nick's help. And obviously the insulin, which Nick agrees I needed to get back initially, at least first. To keep you alive to, and to, you know, yeah. keep hitting the snooze until you were ready to do what I yeah. am going to tell you to do. So I've been hitting the snooze button and uh, fixing the, quote, symptom since January. Yeah. I and mean, if it was, if I was going to recommend it, because I mean, you got on insulin without telling me. 
I didn't know. I came home from the DR and then you told me that you were already on it. And I was so, on it for about three weeks, four weeks. I think no, I was on, no, I was on like two months. Already. Yeah. So if it was, if I was completely clear on everything that was happening with you, I would have basically made you fast again before you got on insulin. Yeah, I and think let the, you do that beforehand because really all you got to do is clean off your pancreas. And if you were just like if it was new, yeah. like it was, then you should have been able to detox it pretty quick. But now as you've been taking insulin, you've kind of allowed that to continue to manifest in the plaque to kind of add up in your pancreatic ducts. Yeah, I think the unfortunate part of that was, you know, um, you weren't here and I yeah. was panicking a little bit and obviously mm -hmm. just... You've always been a worry. I was always, I've always been a worry, over-emotional sort of person that, you know, I, I need to listen to the doctor here and get on this insulin. Nick's not here anyway. And when, when I do see Nick again, I'll work through this. But right now I need to do this. And by the way, I misspoke when I said... Um, that uh, uh, I just lost my train of thought. I'm sorry. I said something earlier um, that was wrong. That you taught me was wrong. Mm. It was about the insulin or something, but I can't recall. Anyway, um, it's unfortunate that I'm in the situation that I am now, but that's where I'm at. Yeah, so... We're going to work on that now, and yeah. you're coming to the DR with me, and we're going to do another fast. And slightly different this time, slightly different approach now that you're on insulin. we got to kind of take the type 1 approach. A little more difficult. A little, a little more difficult, a little more. It needs a little more attention and focus on my part. It needs a little more documentation, um, meaning like I need to ma make sure that you're managing what you're taking properly as far as the insulin goes and reduce the amount of insulin you're taking until we can get you completely off it. And the the last step of getting off like the last unit, like getting someone from 40 units to one or two units a day is pretty easy. Yeah. But getting them off that last little bit is the hard part. Well, and messing with ketosis is hard because yeah, I don't you got to, yeah. yeah. So, but I would say but that's right what we now, have to do in order to really get your pancreas to clean the way that it is. So it's kind of, you're playing in dangerous territory with yeah. that, the end of the type one diabetes reversal. So it has to be done very, very specifically. Well, I will say the first part of this folks, I will be happy just reducing the amount of insulin I need. And by the way, I don't need a lot right now compared to type one diabetics. Cause it's new. The, the units of insulin right now, right. And since I've been on it, I haven't had to increase it. It is new. I am a very uh, older diagnosed type one. So other type ones have been doing it since they're six years old, for example, which is why the insulin amount and requirements increase. And by the time they're my age, they're on quadruple the amount of insulin they were on when they started. For me, I have an advantage in that I'm already older and I am starting with very low amounts of insulin. So the chances of me increasing insulin is less because I'm older and with Nick's help, I am really confident I'm going to get it down to one or two units before we can ultimately eliminate it. Um, and I did just remember what I said that was very wrong. They told me that I was not, I was barely or not making any more insulin. And one of the things that uh, Nick this... taught me is, is that that's not true. Mm -hmm. If your pancreas ever stopped working, you'd be dead in a second. You are making insulin, but your pancreas is covered with the dry snot and the plaque to the point where the insulin that's being produced can't go anywhere and penetrate the cells the way it should. Can't make it to the blood. Right. It's being blocked. So that's basically what type 1 diabetes is. It's too much plaque on the pancreas. The pancreatic ducts are blocked. The insulin can't be transported. It's not the manifestation of insulin that is inhibited, but rather the transportation, the transporting of the insulin that is compromised and type with type two, 1 diabetes. And type 2 and insulin resistance is a little different. Yeah, insulin resistance or what they, yeah, type 2 diabetes yeah, yeah. is 
the insulin is still getting produced and transported into the blood, but the cells have become resistant to the insulin based on an overusage or an overconsumption of sugars throughout a lifetime to the point where there's too much sugar being used and the insulin, basically what insulin does is it knocks on the door and opens the door of the cells for the sugar to get used. So eventually, you know, the cells are like, all right, I'm not opening the door for this fucking guy. And, and by the way, the way you just described type two made complete sense in terms of my diagnosis at the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, you were definitely type two when we did the fast to reverse your type two. Like you, it's actually pretty crazy your experience with this because you literally were a type two diabetic and then became a type one diabetic. You were not a type one diabetic at the time. That's why you I was not. That's why I will say folks, if you're gonna do a solid food vacation, be really careful. And I'm not saying this is the reason why I'm a type one diabetic, but my ridiculous decision to get back to my old life in a way not and not break this fast probably in the way that I should have, could have been and probably was the contributing factor to me becoming type one. Damage took place somehow after my solid food 60-day vacation, um, going back to some alcohol and some regular foods again. Uh, that has to be. Yeah, there are some reasons why. I could I could share some of that for why. Uh -huh. So when you fast, right, or in general, before you even fast, you have a lining of plaque on your organs, mm -hmm. right? Your GI tract. From eating all that food, you have a lining of plaque on your GI tract. If you smoke a lot, you have a lining of plaque on your lungs, right? Now, even though the, that plaque itself is hurting you and preventing you from being able to absorb or assimilate nutrition, like you eat a fruit with all that plaque on your GI tract mm -hmm. and you can't properly absorb all that nutrition. But at the same time, when you eat more poison, it's preventing you from being able to, to absorb a lot of that poison. So it's the plaque lining is actually what your quote unquote tolerance is. Mm. It's the protection of the dried plaque that it gives you from being able to absorb. Same thing with smokers. It's the same reason why the first time you smoke, you cough your head off, and then after you smoke a lot, you develop a tolerance, which is basically just the layer of plaque on your lungs that protects you from the harshness of the smoking on your bare lungs. Mm. And once you fast, and once you really go through a detox, you lose that plaque on the GI tract, or you shed. You're not really losing it, it wasn't yours to begin with, but you were shedding that plaque mm. off the lungs, off the GI tract. Then when you go back to those habits, it's direct, you don't have that tolerance. And when you consume those things like you used to, mm. without that plaque to protect you, you can really fuck yourself up because you're really poisoning your blood really fast. Which mm. is why you can get really fucked up drunk really fast, where you used to, you know, chug fireball with me. The plaque is gone. And the plaque is gone, that used to protect you, and the plaque used to absorb some of it and not allow, and the worms used to eat it, the candida used to eat it. Yeah. And now, yeah. you lost all that, or you There's gave no, up all that, and now it's, you're just poisoning yourself way There's worse. There's no doubt that that's what happened to me. And so that's one of the reasons why I wanted to do this podcast, because this is not just about celebrating a lifestyle change, reversing my type two, I'm so great, Nick is so great, it, it's not about that. It's about this stuff is no joke and can really help you, but you need to do it properly because you may make yourself worse. Agreed. Um, or you may cause additional problems. The one positive I will say here, it's not one positive, but the biggest positive is that I feel like I have you um, and I'm gonna go through this a lot more difficult this time around, a lot more challenging because it's type one, but I am still overly confident, very optimistic. It's gonna be a tough, road back again and you know what to expect at least now. i know what to expect and i will be off insulin by next year and i will stay off of it 
and I will do this the right way this time. Um, and I've learned some valuable lessons the first time. I'm going to incorporate some additional things like urine therapy. Um, which gonna, we didn't do at all. Which we didn't do at all. Um, and, and enhance, or I should say, increase the frequency of my breath work, um, which I could always have room for. Um, yeah, we were talking about this today, how no matter what, every day, you make it to the gym and work out. Yeah. And we need to shift that focus from working out every day to doing breath work every day, no matter what. Right. I don't and switch work out when you have time, right. but make time for breath work every day. Yeah. That's what we talked about. I don't yeah. miss a workout. I don't miss a tennis match when I have it. So I don't miss breath work. Exactly. It's just the way it is. But I will say that one part of the urine therapy that I have started is the urine enemas and the urine enemas. I have definitely noticed per Nick's, um, recommendation and advice once again he was right it absolutely improved my breath work and so when my colon um, started to I guess get healthier and the properties of the urine started removing the shit off the walls of my colon I absolutely noticed the breath work changes for the positive and honestly it made me want to do breath work more because I saw it improving my ability to hold my breath do the exercises started to become easier with the enemas and it's the all visuals connected and the, and the psychedelic feelings from the breath work were probably more intense oh, as well, way right? more intense and i really started to see how this all of this shit is so connected you know you can't do huh. one without pun, no pun intended <laughs> no pun intended right <laughs> you can't dabble in this stuff you can't pick and choose what you think you like better uh, yes you can in the beginning if you want to be holistic, you got to do the whole thing, all right. of it. Otherwise, whole you're holistic with holes in your in your. There you go. Practice. And I'm not upset at myself for doing this in piecemeal and part and parcel initially. You learned. I learned along the way, but I am at the point now, all of these lessons learned, some of them really hard, that I need to do all of these things to really do and accomplish what I want to. And that includes the urine therapy. That includes the breath work. That includes the enemas. That includes the green juice. That includes the fasting. All of this combined. It's the whole package. It's the nine pillars. Mm -hmm. And the so it makes complete sense to me. I've been doing, you know, Nick Caputo Sr.'s choice of pillars. And it just doesn't <laughs> work that way. If you really want to accomplish um, what I needed to accomplish, the ultimate goals, uh, especially if you're trying to reverse disease, folks. Um, you can't, you can't, can't half -ass you it. can't fuck around and half-ass this shit. Yep. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. So. so is there anything else that you want to talk about while you're on here to the audience? Anything else that you've learned? Anything else like not really maybe related to the story, but anything that you've learned along the way that you found to be helpful? Anything about, let's talk more yes. about the enemas. Let's go in a little more about the enemas. What came out of you? How many animals have you done? What, what's, let's go into detail a little bit. I've probably done 10 um, urine enemas now um, over the span of maybe eight weeks. So I, there's definitely room for improvement here. Um, one of the things I liked about the enemas, obviously, and this is the wrong reason to like it, but nonetheless. You were wiggling in your ass, right? And you were moaning and it felt good. <laughs> uh, aside no, from I'm that, kidding. aside from that, um, the, uh, the way that it makes me look, the way that my stomach looks, um, the flatness and how ripped I get, 
and the unbelievable energy that I have when I'm empty. And then, of course, my ability to do the breath work um, at a really high level. Um, aside from that, um, I couldn't believe what came out of me. I mean, I was really in awe. The first one and the fir second one, okay, I felt like mostly urine was coming out and some dirty water or whatever. You told me that. And then you told me to stay with it. And as I progressed and continued to do more and more, the enemas got more intense. Um, they got longer in terms of what was coming, like the, the duration of time where stuff was coming out and the darkness of it to the point where literally mud was like coming black out. Black shit. I mean, there was <laughs> shit coming out of me from 1985, I'm sure. Um, and <laughs> Stuff so, that 60-day fast didn't even get out. No doubt. And you did that 60-day fast without enemas, right? No doubt. Yeah. yeah, without enemas. And I feel like I've been pretty clean since then. Even though I reverted back, I, I don't eat the way I used to. Much cleaner. You can't really. After 60 days of yes. fasting, you can't just go back to binge eating like the way that you used to eat. No human could possibly do that. That's right. And Your the, body won't even let you. The other thing that I didn't realize... Uh, yeah, you're right. The other thing I didn't realize, guys, with the enema, um, and I don't know if it affects everybody the same, um, I've always been... I'm, I'm a hyper person. I've always had trouble falling asleep and sleeping sound through the night. Especially with diabetes, you're urinating a lot during the night and getting up a lot. And, and I'm getting older now, so the prostate, the whole nine yards. You know, you get up. Older guys get up at night often to pee. Um, I was doing these enemas and sleeping like a fucking baby, like a rock. And not having trouble falling asleep, not having trouble getting up in the morning. I used to have so much trouble waking up and getting out of bed without energy. I noticed that. Um, very, very quickly with the enemas. And I don't know, maybe it was a coincidence. I don't know if that's what they do, but. It makes your breathing better. So you're able to, you're okay. getting a better range of motion on your diaphragm when your colon isn't stuffed with shit. Okay, that makes so sense. So you're then. breathing better in your sleep so you can get into the parasympathetic nervous system deeper. You can actually relax because your breath is being slowed. It's not blocked and shallowed by the shit stuck in you. So there you go. And yeah. So there you go. And I was doing them at night. So I would do the enemas at night, take a shower, put on my comfy PJs or whatever I was gonna wear for bed and completely knock out effortlessly, no TV, no, no reading, no stimulation, didn't need a thing, and woke up in the morning knowing I didn't get up all night and feeling so completely rested and energized. That's the one thing that made me say, I need to keep doing these. That was my biggest attraction to the enemas was my sleep. Yeah. My sleep and pattern. What would you say, did you do Distilled water enemas, or did you went right into the urine, right? First time you ever did an enema was urine? Or did you do one with distilled water in the beginning? 60-day solid food vacation marathon runner. I jumped right into the urine. The True, the yeah. The first race I ever ran was the New York City Marathon. I never did a 5K. Never did a, a local. <laughs> never did a 5K. <laughs> never did a local community race. And people would say to me, you know, you can't just run a marathon, Nick. You have to run smaller races and work your way up. You have to do distilled water and work your way to the urine. You know, you can't do a 60-day solid food vacation. You have to start with three days. Start with seven days, then try it. That's not me. Yeah. I fucking jump Fuck into everything. You. I'm doing it. <laughs> so I jumped right into the urine, and I was scared shit, no pun intended. And I saw the power of the urine, and there was absolutely, honestly, no reason to even do the distilled water. Yeah. When I saw what the urine was doing. The urine is... Which is why I'm compelled to drink better. it and snort it now. I have to get through the psychological issues of doing that. I, I, I dabbled You've in drinking it, yeah. it a few times, but to get consistent with it, and I will. And the enemas have showed me firsthand, um, it was almost the evidence I needed that I should be drinking and snorting this stuff. Yeah, and just for you to keep yourself accountable here, 
What was your experience when you drank it with me at BFC, at the at the sauna place when you drank it? <laughs> you went to the bathroom and said, you know, I, I got to pee. It. And I gave you the jar and I said, pee in the jar. And you were going to bring it home for enemas, but I gave you the jar with no lid. What? And you go, there's no lid on here. How am I going to take it home? I go, you don't need a lid. You and you were like, yeah. no, no. And you, you put it in my <laughs> face and you said, enough. Fuck this. Do it now. Enough. Do it now. And you know who I am, and that's all I need. Uh -huh. And I'm like, you know what? Fuck this. You're right. Give me that fucking thing. <laughs> and I went in, and I fucking did it. I did it in. I drank the entire bottle in three different gulps, and it was it was almost euphoric because you had me. The psychological piece was gone. You had me motivated psychologically, and I was so unbelievably, surprisingly happy um, that it didn't taste bad. Yeah, um, you were hydrated at that point. You were I, I just, a lot of I was so water, excited so. that it didn't bother me. I'm like, I'm in. I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna do this. And so, unfortunately, you came out walking on air out of that bathroom. I was you're so like, proud. You're of like, myself. I did it. It was easy. I'm gonna do this every day. I'm on board. <laughs> this is it. Um, sorry to tell you, folks, that that was a while ago, and I have not stayed. I haven't done it. I don't know why exactly. Um, still that mental conditioning. Th there's still a conditioning that has to happen. The more you do it, the more comfortable you get. I have it. to just remember to not pee in the toilet. And I haven't been as hard on you because I was proud that you did it once. So you I have gave, it. I gave True. you a little slack on it. But I need to have jars ready or a jar ready. I need to remember not to pee in the bowl and always do it. I'm going to get there. I got there with the enemas. I know I can get there with this. And then ultimately, I'm going to save the snorting for last. Um, because I don't think that's a priority for me as much as the other two. I don't have big time sinus issues. I know stuff. You'd be surprised. I know though. stuff will come out. I'm just saying. I didn't either but until I, was, I did it, and I, I was like, "Holy shit!" Yeah. Well, you always had allergies and stuff, but that's I, true. I, I'm just yeah. thinking about how to prioritize the urine, and I want to do the drinking second, and then I'll do the um, the the snorting last. Makes sense. That's my plan. Yeah, and I mean the allergies went away for me just when I went fruitarian, like before I even started fasting, just when I started eating fruit. My allergies went away. Yeah, but yeah. um, the the urine snorting was next level, and that was I was already looping for six months. So I did the same thing. I was looping and drinking it for six months before I ever snorted it for the first time. <laughs> but in my defense, I didn't know that snorting it was a thing until yeah. I was already drinking it for six months. Yeah. So I know some of you that are out there listening to this. Um, I joined um, a few of Nick's lives. I've joined Nick's breath work boot camp class, um, and I'll say that. Um, there's a bunch of phenomenal, young, inspiring people out there um, that um, are embracing a lot of this. And all I can say is I almost wish in some cases of this that I was younger and from your generation because um, some of the hangups that I have, some of the delays that I've experienced through this, some of the reasons why I'm not completely where I need to be yet, I blame on my age and the generation I'm from and the closed mindedness and the psychological issues. You guys seem to be, most of you anyway, very free and brave and daring and adventurous and not hung up on some of the old school mentality ways of thinking that, you know, me and the folks I grew up with in the environments I grew up with, you know, Italian family, you know, with these values and these really weird sort, not, I call them weird. Um, sort of beliefs, right? You tell anyone from my generation or older that you should drink your piss and you are a fucking idiot, whack job, moron, <laughs> alien. You know, from the people that I um, sort of revolve around from my generation and older, that's the mentality. 
not to mention anything that requires change. Yeah. <laughs> anything that requires a new way of thinking. They are all so set in their ways. That's why they all die from the same stuff around the same age. Mm -hmm. um, and people drop dead in their 50s. My dad died at 52. That's the exact age I am now. And I am no way near where he was. Health-wise, um, yeah. But from a generational mentality, I'm similar. Yeah, the way you're thinking. Like, you really make me have to really explain every single detail to you. Over and over yeah, because and over we again. are skeptical. We, we're skeptical about all of this stuff. We don't we don't like this stuff. We don't embrace this stuff. <laughs> yeah. Any of it. And so I am completely and utterly grateful, not just because you're my son, that I have you and I have you in the capacity that I have you. Um, I have you whenever I want. I mean, access yeah. to you. You're my son. I'm very fortunate. I'm very lucky. And those of you out there, um, I know that a lot of you also appreciate Nick, I see the testimonials. I see the comments. I have an advantage over everyone being his dad. It's really cool. That we live in the same house um, for I'm, most of the time. I am very, very grateful for for Nick and what – I'm also grateful that I've had the ability to open my mind and not be Definitely. not be one of these generational guys who doesn't see this. Um, and I'm really glad. And that came with a lot of work from Nick, a relentless attacks on me. I think he knew I had it in me to – I had to, like, make it, like – like a normal thing. I couldn't just keep drilling you. Like I had to make fun of you when you were eating shit. I had to fuck with you when you yeah. were drinking. Like yeah. I had to do it like that. And here's the difference. When you do it to my friends, you do capture their interest, but then they go home. Yeah. You know, I had you relentlessly. Yeah. I got a me. couple of them on UT further than you though. We there don't have to name we That's don't have true. to name names, but you were calling me saying That's Yo, true. he's snorting his pee every day and he's loving it. I know, I know. That is true and, and I'm very excited about that. But I will say, too, if you're going to capture more followers and more people my age and older, the challenge will be that you're not with them all the time. They're going to really need to be independently strong enough to do it with a little help from you. But I really leaned on you a lot because I could. Yeah, and I mean, for the young people out there that are following me and that are yeah. not just following me, but that are doing the work themselves, you know, you can do this with your parents, too. And, you know, not everybody's open to receive it right away. Like, he wasn't open to receive any of this information right away. But with time and the right approach, you got to know your parent. You got to know who they are, like, who they are and how they respond to things and communicate to your audience, which in this case would be your parents, in a way that would get them to eventually come around. And don't give up on them. Don't, don't give, give up, up on them. Nick never gave up. Like on we're me. getting mom on it. She's going to get there. Like she did a couple watermelon fast. She drinks the herbal teas. She did breath work with me this morning, actually. So she's getting there. Baby steps. And but, my, and my you know, wife is a hundred times worse than I was. So, yeah. So don't expect your parents to do it exactly the same way that he did it. Everybody's different. Everybody takes this process and mm -hmm. learns and is open to this stuff at different paces. So be patient with your parents and do your best trying to just, keep them on the path all progression is per is perfection so you know even if you just get your mom to do one day on just fruit or something of that nature that will be a huge difference and that can add years to your parents lives word yeah and for those parents out there with kids who are doing some unconventional things who may be listening to this uh hear them out you know your children are your ancestors and Sometimes your kids are here to teach you just as much as you're here to teach them. Yeah, and, and, and that's one of the things that I, I definitely realized. My ego changed, especially as you got older. Mm -hmm. You know, why, why can't my son teach me? You know, growing up for Nick was tough. 
I had to be the teacher. I had to be the dad. I had to show him. I had to lay down the law. I had to provide the rules. And you know what? He got older and it hit me one day, especially with all his knowledge and his drive. Um, you know what? He, he can definitely teach me and I'm going to let him. Um, why, why, why shouldn't he teach me? Forget the age. Forget that I'm his dad and he's my son. And what, That's the most ridiculous way to think. And again, that is an exact example of what my generation is like and how they think. Mm-hmm. There's no way I'm going to ever let my son teach me. I don't care what age we are. And that is just fucking ridiculous. Yeah, and as a smart kid growing up, that yeah. was frustrating as fuck. I used to go in my room and be like, why is he so fucking ignorant? Yeah, yeah, and I was. Yeah. So, you know, in hindsight. Yeah, so I guess we could talk about, uh, to close up, just uh, one last thing that I feel like a lot of people have asked me about and have wanted to know and that I've talked about a little bit in mm-hmm. kind of my talks just about my own childhood mm-hmm. and growing up is how you were back in the day with your mentality about how protein, 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 you got to eat for energy. How did your mentality, I mean, we don't really have to talk about me too much because I've talked about this, but how did your mentality change and your understanding of how I was as a kid kind of grow? Yeah, because back in those days, um, it was all about needing external sources. Your body needs external. You need protein. You need this. You need that. Um, and I think that, it, it honestly, it just changed because of all the things we've already talked about, the things that I went through and using you to help. I learned that the body is really this magnificent machine that can do so many things in spite of what we do to it. Um, that it really doesn't, quote, need anything. And everything that you need, you have. It took me really, really long to understand that, and it's also cultural, it's also age and generational. But you were the first one uh, to open my eyes to that. That was the first part of your question, right? The second part was about you growing up, you said? Yeah, how did your understanding of me change? change? Like looking back. Yeah. On things so, that I've said and things that I've done and the behaviors that I that I was doing. Well, one of the things compared that, to your one of the mentality thing, about it. Yeah, one of the things that blew my mind was um, Nick never wanted to eat. Um, so it's almost like Nick was a breatharian when he was born and he knew it. Um, most kids probably know it and feel that way too, but they're corrupted by their environment and their parents, and it gets destroyed and they become eaters. Nick refused. Um, to allow me to make him eat, regardless of how important I told him it was to eat. He was a hockey player, and I told him that he couldn't play and, 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 and realistically have strength and speed without loading up on protein and carbohydrates and sugar and Mountain Dews and the fact that he didn't eat steak and eggs and bread and things that were going to make him a better hockey player. Um, I never understood why I couldn't get through to him on that when all the other kids were eating all these things and he just never wanted to eat. And so um, I learned that um, he was right the whole time and that uh, he should have never been eating and, and, and how wrong I was. It's, it's just amazing for me to think back on how inaccurate my philosophy, parental philosophy, especially with regards to eating were. And so again, I'm very grateful for the for being, uh, what is it, woke? 
open. Woke awakened, awakened, I guess you could say. And uh, it's it's just a really surreal experience to be 52 years old and realize that for half your life, um, you were way off. Um, and you raised your kids in a way that could have been different. And so, yeah, there's some regret, but there's so many other good things as well. And Nick understands that. And so and sometimes the path forward seems backwards, but it's still the path forward. Yeah. And you want to know something? Learning and aging equals wisdom. And I feel like maturing. I, we don't age. We mature. Mature. <laughs> and so looking back. Yeah. Really crazy. It's really crazy how Nick always knew. Um, that food was not something that he needed. And I remember watching him at some of his games, whether it was Little League or basketball or hockey, and I was just panically in awe in a way <laughs> that he had energy and that he was able to compete and that he was able to still play well without eating anything. Um, it was literally the best compliments you ever gave me. Like, If we got in the car and you were like, yo, how did you play like that without eating? I'd be like, <laughs> right word and unfortunately it still didn't change my stupid rock of a head i never put it together and there were so many occasions of that so many occasions of that you would think i would realize he doesn't need to eat he can do this i don't understand why but he can but that was the point i just didn't understand why and nor did i care to understand why and i don't even know if nick understood at the time why he was I just, too young i just felt it i, I just knew. now in hindsight we can look back and sort of laugh and say, okay, now it makes sense why. Um, and, and Definitely. That's my biggest takeaway from all of this. And if I ever um, am lucky enough to have a grandkid or ever get a chance to deal with kids again, um, it's going to be a little bit different of an approach for sure. Yeah, and for me, it's definitely cool how the tables have turned. For because sure. you used to you used to be on my ass about eating. That's what you said. And, and like, you know, like, yeah, like we'd go to a game, you'd make me go to Wendy's and I'd have to like spill the fries on the floor and get you all pissed on the way to the day. game. Yeah, terrible day. I didn't like that day. But like. And then you had a great fucking game. Yeah, I went, without it, eating those fries. <laughs> I went completely ape shit on him for spilling the fries. You know, thinking that he sort of did it on purpose. I sort of, <laughs> I totally I sort of knew that he did. Um, I had a, and we were late, almost late. For we the were game. late too. So yeah. I'm stressing about the fact that he's going to be late, and the coach is going to be mad at him. I stopped to get him an unhealthy snack that he didn't even eat, and I even think I said something like, "You better fucking skate your ass off today." Yeah, you were so mad, yo. And you want to know something? He just he had one of his better games, and I was almost mad that he had a good game. You know. People, <laughs> I was mad that he had a good game because I didn't understand how he did. My expectations were so low that day. I'm like, there's no way he's going to be able to hang. There's no way he's going to be able to make it through three periods. And so it has to be because... I was breathing. You just and I was doing breath work as a kid. Remember, I used to do the surfing shit yeah. after chasing Mavericks. I used to go to LA Fitness when I was little and swim back and forth in yeah. the pool and all that shit. Plus, and that definitely helped. Plus, with a mouthpiece in your mouth, you, uh, you're forced to breathe through your nose a lot. Yeah, definitely. It's so. a good point too. Yep, yep. Yeah, and basically, like for me, what I was saying is that the tables have turned from that to being now. I see him sneaking a fucking whatever, and now I'm like, why the fuck are you eating that, bro? Right. Like so now I get to kind of be the hard ass back. Yeah. And it's like, payback's a bitch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Payback is certainly a bitch. But I am uh, happy in my own mind knowing that there was a whole lot of things that uh, that Nick learned from me as well, including having the tenacity to um, uh, convince someone or persuade someone or to deliver a message. And so Nick's ability to stay on me 
to relentlessly hound me and make me do what I'm doing today is what I used to fucking do to him. Uh huh. Um, but in a, the only it, difference is you gave in, and I never did. Right. And the only the, well, the only other difference is my message and delivery my, that that my content was completely wrong and incorrect. Yeah. And yours is not. The truth exposed itself. Yeah, for real. Through both of us. For real. So, as you can probably hear, guys, I am not your normal parent. I'm a very open-minded um, parent who can admit when he's wrong, who can put his ego away when he has to. At least now you can. Now. now I'm talking about yeah. now. No, definitely not in the past. Yeah. No, now. And, and, I, and I attribute that to all of this as well. So, my emotional state is not perfect. But I'm not the person I used to be. A lot better. For the better. And I'm able better. to sit here and do this for these because of these changes as well. Where ten years ago I wouldn't have the time. I'd say fuck that and you're wrong anyway. So <laughs> um, things are very different. And I'm very, very grateful and uh, very, very happy where where we're at. And where Agreed. I'm at personally. And where you're at. Yeah. So Last thing I want to talk about uh, and just mention is something that we're both pursuing together, which is pretty new to both of us. I mean, I'm about a week ahead of you as far as this is concerned, but go to movement. Um, so basically what we are doing is yep. we are learning. We both bought the course for the go to movement, the video course online, and we're both working with Stephen Bean, uh, one of the go to coaches, mm -hmm. and we're learning about the way that the body is designed to move and how we and most people are moving in reverse and how you know we've we've really watched our own footage of the slow motion super slow mo frame by frame of our movements and realized that we really are even as two guys who have been pretty good athletes for mm -hmm. most of our lives realizing that we've been moving incorrectly for backwards our entire lives moving backwards yeah moving in reverse living in the front chain Inside ankle bones low, <laughs> you know, improper hip rotation, and fixing these mechanics is going to be a journey for us. We're just pretty much getting started with the recoding process and working with Steve, and doing a bunch of things to fix this. So we are both going to be documenting and sharing our journey with the Gota movement. Uh, yeah, recoding journey and. I'm excited, and I, I bet you are as well, to see Extremely. what this does to both of our athleticism and the way that we can carry ourselves. And, you know, even with the yoga journey for me, like being able to, you know, I wonder how this is going to see how I can fix my hips and get better at getting into Lotus and some of the things that I've really struggled with as far as yoga. These movements have really been hurting me with that. And the reason why my hips are so sore is because I've been moving in reverse and really putting this much strain on my hips. And the same with you. Yeah. So I'm curious yeah. to see how this is going to take us as far as even flexibility and, and mobility goes. No doubt. Not just efficiency of movement. Not just being able to run faster or jump higher, but also just less pain, more flexibility, more mobility in general. 100%. And again, not to beat a dead horse here, but one of the things I'm most excited about this for is because of my age. Um, and my desire to want to continue to compete at a high level. Um, so, as you know, I play competitive tennis. I play nationally. I play locally. I play guys half my age, and I'm still beating them. Mm -hmm. And so, GOTA is one of those things that I feel could um, increase my longevity, um, reduce injury, obviously, which is something that when you're my age, quite frankly, you deal with quite often when you want to continue to compete. 
even going to the gym and doing machines or cables or even plates occasionally is getting harder and harder and really putting causing havoc on my joints and I've been trying to get you off that weightlifting for yeah I know and get my, you on the gymnastics rings and getting the yoga I'll get there but my ligaments my joints all that so I'm really excited about Gota for those reasons because uh, I'm very active and want to continue to compete at a high level yeah, and I'm glad that they aligned with me on that mentality. It was one of the things that made it attractive to me that they were all about proper mechanics and against weightlifting and yeah. what it does for your joints. And I was already aware of that. So when I learned about Goda and started hearing about it, I found Bean's Instagram, and it was in alignment with everything that I already had with my understanding. And every other athletic program or philosophy never really resonated with my understanding or my understanding of the body and how it works. And this is in complete alignment with that and introduced me to new things that I didn't know that still do align with everything that I thought. And they break it down in a, from an energetic perspective with the pressure wave and things that I've done already prior to learning about Goda, things that I've explained are in perfect alignment. Like I explained in this video that I did on YouTube about how music is food. And I used an analogy of the skateboard, of the, the pressure wave going mm -hmm. back and forth from, from heel to toe, heel to toe, that that transfer of pressure and rhythm is actually what fuels the body through a lot of movement and how it could fuel that skateboard on a flat ground without pushing on the ground to be able to keep you going, that no change in pressure. And they explain that 45 degree pressure wave exactly the same way in Gota. Yeah. And I was do, like, wow, this is brilliant. Do they provide an alternative to weightlifting? Yeah. And they, they still do to advocate build, uh, for weights in specific things. But oh, they, do. okay. they don't advocate for weights until you've fixed your mechanics. Yeah, and then yeah. it's more so just adding resistance. That's what so I mean. it's like instead of weights. like they're not for isolated movements like bicep curls or yeah, dumbbells. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's more so like pushing a sled or having resistance bands with specific things. So they add rings. resistance, gymnastics, rings. Yeah. Well, that's not really – I'm not really sure if Goda relates to, to, to that type of stuff. It's more um, forward locomotion type stuff. Okay. But they do have perspectives based on Goda's – Gotcha. Um, philosophy on how to do other things like they have stuff like how to sleep on the floor properly a specific position to keep your arm in the bow to support your head while you sleep on your side okay. in the fetal position so they relate go to movement to a lot of things and they compare it to other animals and it's pretty much unanimous and universal at this point I've never seen something natural that doesn't follow the geometry and the movement patterns of go to lions panthers mm. house cats dogs mm -hmm. monkeys even fish, they still do the spot. It's all, it's sacred geometry. It's in everything in the yeah, universe. Yeah, yeah. And it's undeniable and inarguable. But, you know, people Exciting. could... I'm yeah. psyched about it. Yep. Yeah, so. definitely. And it's cool to see, um, for those who may be interested in this, uh, something that most people are aware of is the debate between Michael Jordan and LeBron James and who's the greatest of all time. <laughs> and Michael Jordan is a clear 10 out of 10 Goda mover and LeBron James is a clear Woda mover. LeBron James moves in reverse and does what most people do and walks with runs with his feet out and this is why he's injured and Michael Jordan never really got injured ever. And you can see the difference in the explosiveness. If you watch slow motion footage of both of them, it's so obvious how much more dynamic of an athlete Michael Jordan was than LeBron James. And I don't even really watch basketball, but just watching the slow motion footage of how they move and the way that they explode and the way that their mechanics are, just Michael Jordan just looks so much more fluid. So I just wanted to point that out. And, uh, yeah, we could summarize or close that topic up. Anything else, Dad, that you want to mention 
while we're on here. Anything else about your journey or anything else that you might want anybody who's listening to this to hear from your perspective? Because, you know, people are have been waiting to hear what you have to say on basically everything that I teach. So is there anything that we haven't talked about that you might want to touch on um, or close I, out with? I don't think so. I think we, we've really covered everything extensively and everything that I wanted to share from my own personal perspective. I can't think of anything right now that we have. Uh, that we haven't I actually about. do want to think of one. Th I do want to say one thing. Yeah. Um, that I want to challenge you to start doing, which I've been talking about with you, that I want to challenge you to start doing on this podcast so everybody can hear it. <laughs> um, I want you to start messing with sleeping on the floor. Oh, right. That is a tough one. And that is yeah, one that you, you have Because you have a big, nice bed in your room. And yeah. I also have, just for everyone on the, the cast to know, um, really bad posture and a really bad sort of hunchback for years of breathing out of my mouth from years of um, starch and, and expanding your organs and, and uh, pushing my organs breathing. around. So uh, it's a pretty and sleeping in beds and sitting in, in chairs at the office and and then lifting heavy weights. So all of those things collectively, my posture is really, really bad. I have a really bad upper back shoulders come forward. You have that front head. So I am interested. I don't know if the floor alone will fix it. I know that breathing will fix it too, and the diet will fix it. And you got to do more of the yoga and yeah. that type of stuff. But again, and I'm, the, uh, the goda will definitely help with that as well. It definitely will. Definitely will. Sleeping on the floor might be a rough one again for someone from my age and generation. But I'm open to everything, and I'm willing to try it, and I'm gonna really give it a go. Um, without, yeah, I got to send you the post today. Yeah, um, I love my sleep, and uh, I do love a very firm mattress, so I might be able to pull it off. Yeah, and you'll be surprised after a couple of days of sleeping on the floor, you'll never want to go back to a bed again once you get used to it. I mean, my it's wife so and I... It's so much more comfortable. I'm, I'm even is. uncomfortable sitting on the couch. Like, yeah, you're sinking. I'm so much better like in a yeah. hard chair. Like, I'd rather sit on a hard-ass wooden bench yeah. than a $2,000 couch. Well, my wife and I have a king-size bed, but the mattresses are different on each side, and mine is really, really firm and hard. She can't even lay on it. Interesting. And I so I might, I might be able to make that transition, and, and we'll see, so... Uh, other than that, sleeping on a yoga mat or on a fuzzy rug or something will make it easier at first to make that transition. No doubt, no doubt. Other than that, in closing, I again very thankful for you. Appreciate everything that um, um, you've helped me with on this journey. It's not anywhere near from being over, um, and I thank everyone out there who's also trying to do their thing and listening for to this. And I hope that anything that I've shared today. Um, can inspire you or um, give you additional hope or anyone in your family. Um, or just understanding and clarity. Understanding and clarity, right, and what the possibilities could be and for even someone like me. So um, the, 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 uh, it's, it, the limitations are endless um, here. There's no question about it. And you just um, need to stick with it and, uh, and stay uh, committed. And, it's, and, it's, and don't break your fucking fasts too fast. Yeah, if there's one lesson, quote lesson, to take from this, it's that for sure. Yep. Um, yep. Open-mindedness, and, and if you do do it, um, don't break that fast <laughs> Yeah. that way. All right. Thank you, Dad. Grateful for you for coming on here and sharing yeah, everything, course. adding value. And, you know, your experience is very unique and very awesome for me to have been beside you through. Yep. And, yeah, I'm just super grateful that you had the open mind to change and the way that our relationship has improved and how... A lot of things in my life and your life has both uh, enhanced based on you being open-minded about this and taking taking the leap into the unknown for yourself. Yeah. So I'm definitely grateful for that. 
and I'm grateful for everybody who's on here listening. And I'm super excited that this is the first episode of the Grow From The Garden podcast. And I'm going to be bringing a lot of really interesting, really knowledgeable people onto this podcast to share some really valuable information for you guys. Aside from the information that I bring forth in my books and in my courses and on my Instagram and YouTube. So this is going to be another medium through which I can share uh, my own expression of this knowledge. And a couple announcements that I would want to make or a couple updates on things for now um, as far as what I'm offering. Breathwork Bootcamp is starting again on July 11th. There are 33 spots for the live package. So the live package allows you to be in the Zoom class live. And there's a spectator package, which has everything included in the live package except the actual live classes. So just the live and the spectator packages both include all of my ebooks to date, including for this wave an exclusive book about fasting that I haven't released yet, and including uh, recordings for all of the previous classes and a bunch of different things that I'm offering. So basically, Breathwork Bootcamp is the number one all f- well-rounded offer that I am presenting to the world right now. So you can check the link in my bio on Instagram or check out gumroad.com slash garden right now. And for those of you who are listening to this, uh, maybe further in the future, the new website is getting built and that will be the caputomethod.com. But that site is as of right now, uh, June 7th, 2021, the website is not available yet. I would say within a month or two. So maybe by August, 2021 the website will be fully up and running and that will be the new site and the gumroad site will be no more additionally the how to breathe level one course which is a pre-recorded video audio course will be available on the website for purchase as well and that one will be perfect for beginners breathwork Bootcamp is great for beginners too who want to really really dive in and learn everything but the how to breathe course is more for you to have so the guided audios are available for you to listen to every single day and you can listen to the one session over and over and over again until you master it and then move on to level two. I will be releasing nine levels of the Caputo Method of Respiration, How to Breathe, pre-recorded video audio courses for all the Breathwork. Breathwork Bootcamp is a great opportunity to get additional information and learn from me live and have the support of the group and learn about fasting simultaneously. Now, in addition to that, there are books available. More are coming out all the time. I'm constantly writing more. I have a bunch of stuff that's going to be a surprise that I'm dropping randomly, always constantly working on new things. So in conclusion, those are basically the main things. And I'm also dropping the merch line, the got piss line of clothing, which will be hoodies, bucket hats, beanies, t-shirts, athletic wear, champion stuff that will basically give people an opportunity to be confident and proud and wear, you know, the proudness or the, I don't really like proud or pride. Um, It's more like bodily identification, but confidence as far as stunting the urine therapy and wearing it on your chest saying that I'm not embarrassed to do this and this is the real deal and you don't have to hide from the public to do something that really does bring great healing when people are confident about things that destroy them and also a way to open the conversation for you to wear a shirt that says got piss on it and have somebody question what that is and why you're wearing that and what that means and for you to you know open the conversation and be able to share this phenomenal healing modality with people. And a couple things that I just wanna say that are very important for anybody who's just listening, I'm gonna close with this. Do not eat the garbage, grub from the garden. The best grub in the garden is the air and the sunlight and your own pee if you're in the garden. <laughs> and 
If you consume these main three things, consciously breathe, get in the sun, get as naked as you can in the sun, and drink your own urine, you are setting yourself up for a life of longevity and emotional ease. So I'll, I'll close with that. Thank you, everybody, for coming on here and listening and paying attention and being open-minded for these conversations. And for those of you who have been engaging with the content on YouTube, on Instagram, being in the lives, asking good questions, and being on your own journey and investing your own breath into your own alignment, I'm grateful for every single one of you and every conscious breath that you take heals the entire collective. So on that note, this is Grub from the Garden Podcast, Episode 1 with Nick Caputo and Nick Caputo Sr. Peace Take it and easy, love. everybody. Peace and love. Much love. Peace.